Well, hi. It's great to be back. Thank you. And thanks again, Kathy and I just want to thank you for all the cars, calls, and emails, and uh, everything that, you, that you've sent to encourage us this last week. It's been a, a real blessing. As far as I know, I'm told things are going well, and the progress is going well, so, you know, hey, it's only the first week. Things could get worse, <laughs> but we're praying that they get better. So uh, thanks again. Well, the, the surgery that I had um, on my shoulder gave me some time to think about things. It's wonderful how the Lord will use opportunities with sort of forced rest to uh, cause some contemplation. And uh, when you can't do anything else, you can, you can lay there and think and pray. And I got to thinking about the uh, ancient Romans who were masters at crucifixion. They were amazing. In fact, I think they invented it, or at least they perfected it, I should say. They, about, by the time of Christ, they actually got to the point where they had it down to a science, and they knew exactly what to do, how to, and the goal of crucifixion was to humiliate the victim, not just to inflict as much pain as possible, but also to humiliate the victim to, so that that victim would serve as an example so that no one else would ever want to do what that victim did. The executions were public, and it was a great deterrent, or the idea was that it would be a deterrent. And they were masters at it. They, like, I just imagine that they sat around the table at the campfire and think, you know, if we put the spike right here, this will cause the, the most pain possible. Well, like I say, I've been thinking a lot, and I think that the direct descendants of Romans are physical therapists. <laughs> Physical therapists, I think, sit around and decide, all right, now when Wayne comes in this Tuesday, if we make him do this, this will hurt the worst. And every time I go in, they've got a new creative way of making work. No, absolutely not. Of course, physical therapists are the, one of the most gracious and most loving. They have to be when they, when they deal with grumpy patients. But the... Um, they have new exercises every time I go in, and, and what they usually do is they'll show you how to do the exercise, and then they'll go off and let you, you know, hurt yourself. So you're there on the gurney hurting yourself, and when you're done, you know, the little timer goes off, and then that's the signal not only for you to stop, but for them to come back and give you something different to do. And so the timer went off, and so I stopped, and I was just kind of standing there waiting for my therapist lady to come back and and while I was waiting I looked at the wall and the wall has this chart of the human skeleton and when's the last time you've looked at a chart of a human skeleton it is fascinating all of the bones that are there and the muscles and everything that connects is just I got to loosen up here I'm gonna tear something need just a little bit of movement here or I'll re-injure but it was really neat because when the physical therapist came back, I pointed to this poster and I said, isn't this just a marvelous design? And she said, I am more uh, amazed by it every day. She deals with that all the time. I've learned that the human body at birth has about 270 bones. 
And then as we mature to adulthood, that decreases to 206 because some of those bones, you know, fuse. As a child, they're supposed to be real pliable so they can fall and all that and get born and all that. But by the time we're full-grown adults, they've fused to 206 uh, bones. And I've sort of figured out that the older you get, the more fusing happens. <laughs> so we're by, the t by the time we're about to die, we're just one bone. <laughs> just kind of, that's why we're stiff all the time. Everything is just fused. We start out with 270. By the time we die, we've got one bone. Or maybe two. It's the jaw that just keeps moving. But without these 206 bones and the ligaments that connect them and the, the cartilage that cushions and the muscles that move, we'd just be a pile of bones laying there on the floor, a pile of 206 bones, doing nothing. But because of all the wonderful things that God has designed to put together in the human body, we are a moving, living miracle and the medical field, those uh, objectively who look at the human body tell me that they are just amazed at God's creation. The prophet Ezekiel used the human body as an illustration. In fact, the Lord told Ezekiel to use the human body as an illustration. And it is a wonderful, it was a, it was a great object lesson for Israel, and it is a wonderful object lesson for us as well. Turn with me to the book of Ezekiel, and let's look at chapter 37. You're probably familiar with this chapter. It's the vision of the valley of dry bones. And it's a wonderful section because it, it focuses on the time of Israel that regards their history during the exile. Now, it's been a while since we've... Uh, just sometimes it's helpful to review a little bit about what, what the exile is, why the exile happened. Well, you remember God made a promise to Abraham that not only would he give him land, the promised land, but he would give him descendants and blessing, and that God would allow Abraham's descendants to be slaves for 400 years, then he would bring him back into the land. God did that through Joshua, and they came into the land and God did indeed bless them, and they had the opportunity to live in the promised land for centuries with the condition, God said, that if you obey me, I'll bless you. If you disobey me, I'll curse you. It won't be blessing, it'll be cursing, and the land that you get to live in, I'll take you out of. That was not only a threat, that was a prophecy, because that's exactly what happened. God's people didn't follow the Lord, and so as a result, we saw last time we looked together at the book of Jeremiah, that God took uh, Judah and Israel, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and exiled them to Assyria and to Babylon. And the, uh, there was actually several phases, you might say, of the exile. The first phase occurred beginning in 597 BC, and that was the phase in which Ezekiel was taken. Ezekiel was taken out of the promised land and was taken to Babylon in 597. And then the full and final exile that we usually refer to didn't occur for about 11 years later in 586. But Ezekiel lived in Babylon. And so we see him prophesying in Babylon before the final exile has happened. The first couple of phases had happened, but the final one hadn't happened yet. And so we see Ezekiel prophesying the first part of Ezekiel's book, the first 24 chapters are all talking about the coming judgment. 
Eventually, Jerusalem's going to fall. Eventually, exactly what God said is going to happen. And then once it happens, then Ezekiel's message switches, and he goes from being a message of judgment to now a message of hope. God will bring you back into the land. He promises to take you out, and he promises to bring you back again when you repent. So it's really a twofold message. It's the, Isaiah had that same message. The first 40 chapters or the first 39 chapters of Isaiah was all about the coming judgment, and then 40 through 66 was about the future hope. Ezekiel is laid out the same way. First 24 chapters, coming judgment, then chapters 33 through 48 focus on restoration. Well, Ezekiel 37 is in that section of restoration. It focuses on the bringing back into the land. And Ezekiel gives us some wonderful things that we don't get anywhere else in the scriptures. And we're so glad that we have Ezekiel. Except for the, the Valley of Dry Bones, there's probably not a lot that we know about Ezekiel. Ezekiel gives us, um, he's one of the few prophets who was also a priest. And he served both roles. And uh, one of the things that we learn through Ezekiel that we don't get anywhere else is that the glory of God in the temple leaves the temple. And the glory that was in the Holy of Holies has left the temple. In fact, that occurs in chapters 9 through 11 of Ezekiel. And it's kind of neat. If you read through those chapters, you can see the progression of it. And ultimately, the glory of the Lord leaves the Holy of Holies, rises and hovers and pauses over the Mount of Olives. And so he leaves through the east, going east, and he, he's over the Mount of Olives. And I love that because when, when the glory of Jesus, when Jesus came, he always appears to Israel, presents himself on the Mount of Olives. He did that the first time when he rode down in the triumphal entry on the back of a donkey on the Mount of Olives. And the book of Zechariah tells us that when Jesus comes the second time, his feet will touch down on the Mount of Olives. So for the glory of God to depart that way, and then for the glory, in a sense, to come again through Jesus, and then when Jesus left and he ascended, where did he ascend from? The Mount of Olives. So there's something about the Mount of Olives that's special to the Lord as far as going and coming into the land. And, um, and it's going to happen again. In fact, Ezekiel also gives us the promised future of the glory of God coming back in the kingdom, and it says, entering through the eastern gate, and the eastern gate faces the Mount of Olives. So that's the way he left, that's the way he's coming back. We also have through Ezekiel the, the, the millennial temple, the dimensions of the temple that will be in the, in the kingdom that Jesus will reign from here on earth. So Ezekiel gives us some great things that we don't get anywhere else, and one of them is this wonderful, familiar vision of the Valley of Dry Bones. So let's look together. Ezekiel 37, let's start right in verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. He caused me to pass among them round about, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and lo, they were very dry. He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, Oh, Lord God, you know. I love that answer. It's like see, somebody asks you an impossible question. If, if God asks you an impossible question, you've got to pause before you say, No, that'll never happen. It's best just to say, God, you know the answer to that. 
I remember as a kid being on my grandfather's farm in Terrell, Texas. Granddad had 220 acres in Terrell, Texas, which he used to farm when he was a young man and had a young family. And as a boy, he still had that farm, and we'd go there occasionally and ride horses and ride dirt bikes, and the dirt bikes became more fun than the horses after a while. But I remember one time, I, don't, I guess I was probably on a dirt bike, but I was riding around on the acreage just out in the back 40 and saw a, a, a pile of bones. So I got off the, the little dirt bike and went over and looked, and it was a cow. This cow had just died right there on the ground, and there was nothing left but this pile of bones, and it was still arranged right. You know, the head is here. Here's the, here's the, the midsection. Legs are sticking out. You know, it's just, the whole cow is just laying there, a pile of bones. And I remember just kind of sitting there and looking at it. Because as a city kid, I mean, just imagine, this, this would be a marvel. You're not looking at something in a, in a textbook. You're looking at the real thing. And I kicked them, you know, a little bit to see, you know, what would happen and... It was, it was fascinating. And I've never forgotten that, how, how intrigued I was as a boy looking at this pile of bones. Imagine walking across a prairie and finding a human skeleton. It's one thing to find a dead cow laying there, but to see a human skeleton. Have you ever seen, I know we've all seen, you know, like people in caskets. This is common for us. But it's not common for us to see skeletons. We see plastic ones hanging in doctor's offices and in the Halloween stores. But to see, have you ever seen a real skeleton? When Kathy and I were in Greece, we had the occasion that they had a couple of things in museums where they had real skeletons laying there in the, in the museum. And, you know, you can look right at them. And it's just so strange to look at this pile of bones and think, that was a human. That, that was a soul just like me. You know, their hands could do this at one time. And inside of that stack of bones used to be a soul. And right now it's just this pile of bones. This is what Ezekiel dealt with. God showed Ezekiel a vision, but he didn't just see one skeleton. He saw a valley full of skeletons. Bones everywhere. I remember watching uh, Ken Burns' documentary on the Civil War, which is a great documentary on the Civil War. And he talks about this, these Confederate soldiers that after a battle, they had had a battle at this particular battlefield, and then they'd gone away, and a couple of years later, just so happened, they came back and had another battle that was real close to the same battlefield. And because of the rain, because of the seasons and the erosion, their comrades that they had buried years earlier, some of them were just, there was just their bones still laying on the ground. And uh, the, they talked about how just despondent they were to see, you know, their friends laying there, just bones. Ezekiel dealt with this. He is standing there among a valley of dry bones, and it's not just bones, but these are the bones of your people. Ezekiel says that God gave him this vision of bones, and it's not just one set of 206 bones laying there. Imagine 206 bones times a vast army of people. God had Ezekiel walk around among them. Imagine that. You're walking among them. And Ezekiel says there were very many, and they were very dry. 
the last thing on your mind is going to be what God asks Ezekiel. Can these bones live? I mean, you're looking around at all these bones. Can they live? His answer is the best answer. Lord, you're the best one to answer that. Our answer would be absolutely not. Then God gives Ezekiel a ridiculous command. Look at verse 4. Again he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Dim bones, dim bones, dim, dry bones, dim bones, dim bones, dim, dry bones, dim bones, dim bones, dim, dry bones, now hear the word of the Lord. Right. Remember that old Johnson song, Johnson Brothers Spiritual? Great. And they got a verse for every bone, almost 206 verses, it seems. I love that song because it just talks about the ridiculous command. The bones, the dry bones, hearing the word of the Lord. you got to be kidding. Imagine standing in a cemetery and preaching to gravestones. They would haul you away if you did that. God's prophets often had to do these kinds of crazy things. A ridiculous question, can these bones live, is followed by a ridiculous command, prophesy to these bones. Okay, here's a, here's a joke. You know what one skeleton said to the other skeleton? If we had any guts, we'd get out of here. <laughs> oh, I like that. But you know, in a sense, that's, that's sort of the point. You're stuck. You can't get out of there. You are a pile of dry bones, and you can't do anything about it. Can these bones live? The obvious answer is God, not without you. Lord, you know. But they can't do a thing without you. God asked the question in order to, to set up the question for the context of a miracle. He wanted these bones to hear the word of the Lord and listen to what God wanted them to hear. Verse 5. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, that you may come to life. I will put sinews on you and make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin and put breath in you, that you may come to life, and you will know that I am the Lord. Ezekiel was told to preach to these bones. And he says here, he notice that God says that he is the one that's going to do it. Here's what I'm going to do. In fact, in the original language, the Hebrew is emphatic. I will cause breath to enter. The Hebrew word here for breath, it's, it, it's interesting, it's the same in Greek, it's the same kind of connection. But the Hebrew word for breath is the same as for wind, as the same as for spirit. It's exactly the same word, you're just dependent on the context to tell you the meaning of which one it's referring to. And in this context, God works that, those meanings back and forth to be a beautiful metaphorical picture of God's plan, God's purpose for this pile of bones. Interesting also that it's the same wording that's used in Genesis when God made Adam. 
God made Adam. And remember, Adam was just laying there. And then God breathed into man, and he became a living being. It's the exact same idea here. And what's the purpose of this miracle? God says, you will know that I am the Lord. When God does what only God can do, you have no doubt that he is God. So, Ezekiel responds, verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and I prophesied. And there was a noise, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, sinews were on them, and flesh grew, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army." Like I said, the word there is identical in the Hebrew, and I can't imagine the challenge of trying to translate this. Look at verse 9 by itself. Prophesy to the breath. Is it breath or to the wind? And say to the four winds. Is it four breaths or four winds? O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may come to life. They did a great job here, but, but clearly the Lord is using a wordplay here, saying from the four winds, from the ends of the earth, call and I'm going to breathe on these slain that they may come to life. Ezekiel is told to do this, and they come, we're told, from the north, south, east, and west, a powerful wind, and Ezekiel shares the word of God, breathes life into them, and they lived. And now that Ezekiel has seen this great vision, you can imagine, I mean, first of all, you're standing there among a pile of bones, then you're standing there among all these corpses, and now you're, standing there, now you're standing there, and you're not the only one standing there. You are surrounded by people who are living and looking at you. The Lord now says to Ezekiel what this means. Verse 11. He says, He said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is perished. We are completely cut off. We're told a couple of important things here. First of all, the bones represent the nation Israel. Jesus used similar language in his Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 when he talked about the, that God will gather his elect. Just listen to Matthew 24, 31. It says, He will send forth his angels with a great trumpet. They will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. Jesus is looking forward to here, he's predicting the elect Israel being restored to the land, and Ezekiel is talking about the exact same thing, that God will bring about a resurrection of Israel, the elect Israel, and they will be in the land. It's a promise of restoration. And here's the, here's the context of it. Israel is saying, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. From Israel's perspective, there is no hope. We are dead. Remember, this is the context of the exile. The context of the exile during Ezekiel's time, they're saying, we're done. We've been taken out of the land. It's over. And God is saying that it's, it's not true. 
I'm going to put life in you again. I'm going to bring you back into the land. Can these bones live? Only God can cause them to live. Remember that movie, uh, that Bruce Willis movie called The Sixth Sense? Kind of a spooky movie. It's one of those movies that if you haven't already seen, I don't recommend you see it. But if you've already seen it, aren't you glad you saw it? It's, it is. It's kind of scary. It's kind of spooky. But, but there's a tagline that sort of developed from that movie. You remember what it was? I see dead people. You know, depending on how you phrase that, that could sound really spooky. Well, it was in the movie. And it sort of be, took the nation by storm back in 1999, I think, is when that movie came out. And uh, that phrase was going around everywhere. I remember hearing of one pastor when he heard the phrase, I see dead people, he says, hey, it's no big deal. I see that at every deacon's meeting. (laughs) Can these bones live? Ezekiel was looking at dead people, but God caused them to live. And he also offered real hope to them. And that's the second thing. The bones represented the nation Israel, And secondly, God offered them hope, those who felt completely cut off. How did it happen? The text shows us that it happened because of his word. So there's several principles that that the text teaches us today. And um, the first one is very simple. Only the word of God offers hope to those without life. Only the word of God offers hope to those without life. Israel was saying, we have no hope, we're dried up, everything's cut off. God says, I'll do more than that, I'll bring you back to life, and I'll bring you back into the land. Martin Luther once said, God creates out of nothing. Therefore, until a man is nothing, God can make nothing out of him. In other words, until a person realizes that apart from God, they're nothing but a pile of dry bones, if they think that they, by themselves can have any progress in their life or their spiritual life or their eternal life, then they will make no progress until they realize that without God they can do nothing. We experience great pain in life. And those of us who have lost loved ones and have looked at the body, the dead body of our loved one, whether it's a parent or a brother, sister, or a friend, and we look and you know, if, you, if you've known the person alive and you see them, they're dead. There's no question they're dead. There's just something about a body that's dead that you go, you know, there's no life in that body. It is gone. And it seems so deceptively permanent. You look at that body and you think, that's that. I mean, that life is done until you realize there'd be a resurrection. It's not done. It's not done at all. Only the Word of God offers hope to those without life. God's Word is the key. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to those who believe. The gospel, good news, words, God's Word, is the power of God for salvation. Words can have power when they're God's word. 
Now, here's a crazy question. You may think I'm joking, but I'm not. Do you see dead people? Because they're everywhere. They're everywhere. And they desperately need the good news. Our country desperately needs revival, no doubt. But what I love most about the message that we just heard is not just to pray for a revival in our nation, but to put that circle of chalk around you and me, because that's where revival begins. Revival begins here before it'll ever begin anywhere else. And we pray for God to, to work in our lives that he would also work in others' lives as well. The word of God is the means through which God brings about eternal change, and God gives Ezekiel to give his word. Look at verse 12. He's not done. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord, when I have opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves, my people. I will put my spirit within you, and you will come to life, and I will place you on your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and done it, declares the Lord. One of the things we learn about studying the Bible is that when God repeats something, it's for emphasis. And in these three verses, he has repeated several things for emphasis. Four times in these three verses, God tells Israel he will raise them from their graves. Twice he calls them my people. Twice he says, I'll bring you back to the land of Israel. And twice he says that when he does it, it will result that they know that he is God and that he alone has done it. There is purpose in God's action. And notice, too, that it's not just a physical resurrection. It's not just a geopolitical return to the land of Israel. It is a spiritual return to the Lord, which we understand to be Jesus Christ, which is why the state of Israel today is not a complete fulfillment of this prophecy. Remember when this prophecy was made. This prophecy was made after the exile. Israel had come into the land, and now God is taking them out of the land. Well, you know what? He brought them back into the land, and then he sent them Christ. And you know what happened after that when they rejected him? They took him right out of the land. And now God's brought them back into the land. So he's, brought, he's already taken them into the land and out of the land already once. Who's to say it can't happen four, five, ten more times before the coming of Christ? So is the state of Israel today a fulfillment of this prophecy? Maybe. We'll have to see. It might be. I hope it is. Because that means that there will be a spiritual return to the Lord as well as a geopolitical return and a physical. It's not just a matter of getting the land back. It is a matter also of a return to the Lord. And God says in verse 14 here, I will put my spirit within you. This is a reference to the new covenant. We talked about the Abrahamic covenant. We've talked about the covenant to David, that uh, one from David's own descendants will sit on David's throne on in an eternal kingdom. Of course, that's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But also the new covenant includes a couple of things, that the Spirit of God is placed within them, 
Verse 14 says, I've placed my spirit within you. And hopefully you have in your margin a reference to Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. And if not, you could jot that down because that's where the, the uh, new covenant is really spelled out. Um, but also, it's not just a matter of the spirit being within them, but of their sins being forgiven, which only happens through repentance and belief in Jesus. So it's not just a physical return, it's not just a geopolitical return, it is a spiritual return to the land. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. How in the world do dry bones hear the Word of God? Well, here's the second principle. The first principle, just to repeat for you, is only the Word of God offers hope to those without life. The second principle is only the Spirit of God enables dead ears to hear and believe in the Lord. How can, how can bones respond to the Word of God? They can't unless God enables the bones to hear. How could Lazarus hear Jesus call out, Lazarus, come forth, unless the Lord Jesus first enabled Lazarus to hear? Whenever someone turns to the Lord, it's because God has opened their ears to hear something that they wouldn't have otherwise. They can't hear on their own. It takes God quickening the ear and then the person responding. Jesus said it this way, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. We see the same thing in the book of Acts in, with Europe's first convert, Lydia. It says in Philippi that the Lord opened Lydia's heart to respond to Paul's message. So when we're praying, we're praying that God would open the ears, the dead ears of those who would hear and believe in the Lord. Well, you're in chapter 37. Look back at chapter 36 for a moment at some, some verses that relate Chapter 36, look at verse 22. We're told, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for my sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers. So you will be my people and I will be your God. Look down at verse 32. I'm not doing this for your sake, declares the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, On the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places to, will be rebuilt. 
The desolate land will be cultivated instead of a desolation in the sight of everyone who passes by. They will say, this desolate land has become like the Garden of Eden, and the waste, desolate ruins, uh, desolate ruined cities are fortified and inhabited. Then the nations that are left around you, round about you, will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted that which was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken and will do it. So, basically, God is saying that he pro- his promise and fulfillment to Israel is not just for Israel. It's for the nations. God's passion, even throughout the Old Testament, has not just been for Israel. It's always been for the nations. Not just for Israel, but always for the nations. God told Abraham, through you all nations will be blessed. Through you. So it's through Israel that all the nations are blessed. God's reiter- reiterating that here. It's not just for you. It's for the nations, and it's for my holy name. Do you notice also the contrast? We read in in verse 22, chapter 36, verse 22, then the nations will know that I am the Lord. Look at chapter 37, verse 6, the end of it, and you will know that I am the Lord. God is going to use this exact same action, the first action of uh, taking them out of the land, then the nations will know that I am the Lord. Then, and then bringing them back in the land, he will say, then you will know that I am the Lord. God's goal in this, in this restoration that he's talking about is for the glory of his name, because he keeps his word. You disobey, I'll take you out. You obey, I'll bring you in. And I'll also make my glory known to the whole world. Wonderful promise. Well, how does this relate to us? Good question. Look at Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. We talked about the fact that the exile occurred in 586 B.C. because of God's people didn't listen. So God took them out of the land, then he brought them back in. And then he sent Christ. And they didn't listen to Christ. God took them back out of the land, and now... He is bringing them back in uh, ever since 1947-48 and the whole return to many of the Jews returning to their homeland. And in the city of Rome today, if you go to Rome today, right beside the Colosseum, there is an arch there called the Arch of Titus. And if you look underneath the Arch of Titus, you'll see the Romans who sacked Jerusalem bringing in all the, the, the uh, furniture or the, the implements of worship from the temple. You'll see the menorah. You'll see the table of showbread. You'll see some of the uh, trumpets and shovels. You don't see the Ark of the Covenant for some reason, probably because it's in a crate in Washington, D.C. somewhere. (laughs) But the point is that when Rome sacked Jerusalem, they brought the articles of Jerusalem's riches to Rome. And the, the, the emperor at that time, Vespasian, used the immense amount of wealth to build the Roman Colosseum. When you think, when you see the Roman Colosseum, that was built from the spoils of destroying Jerusalem. They used that money to build the Colosseum, as well as the Arch of Titus that's still standing there. And it's wonderful to stand by this arch. They planted an olive tree right by this arch, and it's wonderful to stand there and to look at Romans 9. Romans 9, look at verse 1. 
I'm going to whisk through some verses here that are a wonderful summary of how Ezekiel's prophecy relates to us as Christians. Romans 9 says, I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart, Paul says. I wish I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, who belong to the adoption as sons, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the temple services, and the promises, whose are the fathers, and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh, who is over all, God bless forever, amen. Paul is saying that Israel has rejected the Lord, but, as, but God has not rejected Israel. This is the point of the next three chapters in the book of Romans. He says that the covenants are Israel's. God hasn't forgotten his promises to Israel. And it's wonderful. I don't, I don't know. You've probably noticed here, but Romans chapter 9 comes right after Romans chapter 8. <laughs> I know, that's profound. But it's even more profound when you think of the context. Remember the last few verses of Romans 8, these verses we love so much and that we're so familiar with? Verse 38 says, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from Christ. Nothing can separate us. A list of things that are pretty powerful. Death, angels, demons. Nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the thinking person would then raise their hand and go, yeah, Paul, but what about Israel? Israel rejected Christ, and as a result, now the blessing has gone to the church. Paul says, wait a minute. I've got three chapters for you. And Romans 9 through 11 walk systematically through and show that God has not rejected Israel, even though Israel has rejected Christ. Romans 9 begins that way. Look at Romans 11 and how this, the last chapter ends. It's a wonderful affirmation. Romans 11 begins, I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be. For I, too, am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. And then he goes on. Look at verse 5. In the same way, then, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. In other words, what was true for Israel is also true for us. You cannot lose by works what you gained by God's grace. Or grace is not grace. If you've accepted Jesus Christ and then after that sinned, and we all have, you're not disqualified from the grace of God. The grace of God is the grace of God. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. This is the point of Romans 9 through 11. God made unconditional promises to Israel. God will honor those promises to Israel. And because that's true, Romans 8 is true for you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. 
If, if God's not going to reject Israel after all they've done, God won't reject you after all you've done. This is exactly Paul's point. And here's the third principle. Only the gracious promise of God secures a future for Israel and for us. Only the gracious promise of God secures a future for Israel and for us. We won't read it, but verse 17 and 18 gives the wonderful illustration of an olive tree where some where we're described as, a, as a, Israel as an olive tree and we Gentiles are like, we're grafted in. We are now part of that. So in a sense, we better hope that God never gives up on Israel. Because if he gives up on the root, guess what happens to us wild branches that have been grafted in? And this is exactly what Paul states as well. Is there a future for Israel? We'd better hope so. Because we are riding on their promises. The new covenant is the new covenant to Israel. We Gentiles are just sort of grafted into the deal. It's their covenant that we get to share the blessings of. Romans 9 through 11 is Paul's illustration that nothing can separate us from Christ. So Ezekiel's wonderful vision of the Valley of Dry Bones is a wonderful picture also of our future, that God will also raise us up from our graves and will bring us into the land, the promised land, that we will get to share in the millennial kingdom with Jesus Christ. What's funny is you go to Rome and the Arch of Titus is still standing there. The Colosseum is still standing there. Uh, the bones of God's people are still in their graves all across the world. Centuries and centuries of bones. Israel itself, as a nation, has not accepted the Messiah. If we were to stop right now and start evaluating God's faithfulness to his promises, we could question, is God going to be faithful? But when we look at, at the past and see how God has always been faithful with his promises, when we look at the scripture that says what's happening now is exactly God predicts that it's going to happen, and God also predicts a future repentance for Israel, and I hope that they have, that we get to ride on their coattails. It's a wonderful, wonderful promise. We are secure in Jesus Christ because of his faithfulness, not because of ours. Those three principles, one more time. Only the word of God offers hope to those without life. Only the spirit of God enables dead ears to hear and believe in the Lord. Only the gracious promise of God secures a future for Israel and for us. You know, it's possible that you've slipped into the class or maybe you've come to the class for a long time and for some reason, just now, the Lord is quickening your dead ears to hear the good news of the gospel, that Jesus Christ has died on the cross for your sins and that his resurrection on the third day proves that your sins are forgiven and that because of God's grace, your sins are completely forgiven when you believe in Jesus. That's all you got to do is just believe. No matter what you do from this point on from the rest of your life, if you've believed in Jesus Christ, you cannot lose. We've seen it. We're secure. Israel is secure, and so are you. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Let's pray. Our Father, what life among us is not like one of the corpses, one of the bones laying at Ezekiel's feet in that valley. 
Apart from you, we are as dead and as dry and as without hope as a pile of bones. But because of your word, because of your spirit that has quickened our ears, because of your faithfulness to your promises, you will raise us from our graves. You will bring a resurrection of a national hope for Israel as a nation once again. And we Christians who are the body of Christ will also be able to join Israel once again in their land and for a thousand years to to follow and obey our Lord Jesus Christ without any sin to mar our motives or to uh, to spoil our worship. Our Father, we thank you for the hope that Ezekiel gives, not only to Israel, but also as a reminder for us Gentiles that your faithfulness to Israel is an illustration of your faithfulness to us as Christians. Thank you for your love for us shown in Jesus, for those who may have trusted Christ even in this moment, and for the future that we have of great hope and expectation that one day you will do for us what we hope that you will. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.